Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're listening to the Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. This is Paul Hawksby. And Andy Jacobs. And welcome once again to the H&J Daily, some of the best bits of this afternoon's show. Well, um, what did we get up to today? All sorts, didn't we, Andy? We did. I had a bit of a problem with my voice. I may still be having a bit of a problem with my voice, yes, even on this are. bit. Yes, you are. You're sounding deeper. Oh, uh, me, I can't even white. tell. A bit warish of <laughs> th- I've never been more popular for some reason. <laughs> people, yeah, love people love it when love it all goes wrong, voice. don't they? They all love the new voice. Uh, but it, it may have just been a one-off. But um, we, John Etheridge joined us. We, we went on this day in history, not even yesterday, but the day before. Um, we, and we talked a bit of cricket. Um, also, yeah. um, a bit of Tim Payne talked about him. Uh, yeah. You talked about a chap called Paul Cheesley. You know, that'll all become clear. Motti was yeah. on good form. Um, yeah. We had a chat, of course, so lots of little bits and pieces. Uh, Dance was great doing Steve Bruce, as he has been. Yeah. And, uh, and then Mike Ward with his very entertaining uh, TV roundup. That's it. Here it all is. <laughs> Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon, Andy. And I must just say that um, you said the other day that uh, Declan, our, our technical guru, said you sounded very, very deep. Now, I don't know if there's some lag in the signal because I'm listening to you today and you're sounding, you're speaking slowly and you're very, I don't know if the <laughs> listeners are hearing it like that, but I'm hearing you in a bit of a Barry White role and I, I'm, I'm quite liking it. I think it could be the future. I, I quite like it either. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll, 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 stick, I'll stick to you it. Don't, you don't uh, need to do that. Just keep doing it as you're doing. Just it keep speaking the no- normal way. Okay, well, that's good. Uh, so, uh, over the weekend, I don't know about you, Paul, but I try to, it's impossible in these times, but I've tried to retain a sense of normality in my life. So, for example, Saturday night, 10.30, I lined up. My, I had my own Andy's match of the day. I pre-recorded <laughs> some highlights. I saved a nil-nil against uh, Southampton in 1994 as a kind of last match on my match of the day. But uh, then after that, I had, sort of, I had the games lined up. But I was thinking last night, actually, this is great. It's great now. We're going to talk to Motti about all this old football and everything. But what are we going to be doing by week 12? We're going to run out of games to show. They'll be showing the Amateur Cup final in the 50s. I'm absolutely <laughs> convinced of it. I think there's enough. A- I think there's enough. I mean, I've watched quite a lot of old football uh, this weekend. I watched a couple of the old big match revisiteds. We'll save this for our chat with Motti because there was an interesting piece by Alan Nixon in The Sun yesterday. He said, we get a bit misty-eyed about football in the 80s. But there's a lot we we never ever will want to go back to, and that's what we'll be discussing with Motti a little bit later on. But I've I must admit, I've been quite enjoying. It. I'll tell you what was quite pathetic though. One game was uh, Ipswich versus Spurs. It was the first game of the season in which I, when Spurs actually went down in the 70s, and we went one nil up. And uh, I started to get annoyed at the quality of Willie Young's. I was getting annoyed from 1970s. <laughs> it was so typical Spurs, one nil up, and then they managed to lose three one. Oh, no. I just thought that's my evening. That's my evening ruined. That is going back to 90s. Well, Willie Young, where were you? Terrible. Exactly. I tell you what I did as well. We were, I was watching a game from I think it was 1981, and Peter Rhodes Brown was playing for Chelsea. And for some reason, for all these years, I thought that Peter Rose Brown, after he retired, went into the church and rose through the ranks of the church and became a bishop. 
And uh, so I started <laughs> to look it. I started, what I thought he had, and I looked it what up. What imagination and, you've got. <laughs> well, he hadn't at all. I had to get on to Rick Glanville, the Chelsea club historian, and say, did Peter Rhodes-Brown become the Bishop of Oxford? Like, no, he's a, he's a scout at Oxford United. <laughs> <laughs> So there you go. I don't know why. Maybe that's a strand. Where are they now, but not what they really did? Maybe, you know, because, uh, you know, some bloke might be a pipe fitter and you might uh, think he went off. I mean, you're not thinking of Gavin Peacock, are you? No, no, Gavin. No, no. Okay. Yeah, no, I know Gavin did did that. But uh, I was also thinking, uh, um, I don't know about you, if you're still watching the English game, I'm really enjoying it. I think it's a tremendous program on Netflix, if you haven't seen it. People seem to be really enjoying it. And uh, I've discovered, uh, we were talking last night, which club are you a fan of in the English game? For example, are you a fan of the Old Etonians, the establishment? Are you a fan of Darwin? I'm a fan of Blackburn because they're kind of nouveau riche team that try and buy everybody up. So I thought, that sounds quite familiar. I'll go with them. So me and the wife are are rooting for Blackburn. You're a Blackburn. I'm going to go Darwin. Uh, How are you? I'm going to stick with the... (laughs) They like Spurs. Yeah, (laughs) that's right. So I think I might go with them. I'm going to tell you, this voice, Andy, of yours, I don't know during the, uh, the travel whether you'll be dialing back in, but... It does sound like you're possessed by the devil. I'm sure you're not. It's just, it's like you've tried. I think it does, I am. It does. Even uh, 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 people who are liking it at the moment, Bob and Arbroath said he is sounding very much like uh, Barry White. We can understand what you're saying. You're just an octave lower. It's, it's quite, it's, it's just right down here. It's a really weird well, experience. It's like, it's like you're Barney from Napalm Death. I'm never going to give you up, that's for sure. And, uh, <laughs> we'll, have to, we'll have to get you to sing a Barry, do the intro to a Barry White song in a few months, unless we can sort this line out. But it is, it is a joy. Keep going. And uh, there's been some complaints about the fact there is no references to coronavirus in the Archers, uh, because under the old editor, apparently actors would have come in and recorded inserts, like somebody would have said, oh, old Walter Gabriel, he seems to have got the uh, COVID-19, but he's all right now, you know, that sort of thing. But there's nothing at all. So it's not gone down at all well. So I think they're going to have to sort that out. Uh, What else have we got? I've got lots of stuff. Hold on, here we go. Sure you have. (laughs) You know. Well, shall I all speak higher and then maybe I'll just sound normal? (laughs) That sounds weird. (laughs) Is that worse, is it? Yeah. Um, (laughs) You know you've got time on your hands when you sit down to listen to Bob Dylan's new 17-minute epic poem. I don't know if you've heard it. It's, it's, it's amazing, actually, set to music, but it is long. It's the sort of thing, and normally you'd go, oh, I've got time to listen to this. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But now you have got time, so uh, yeah. I recommend it. Have you had a haircut yet, Andy? Your wife is a, a hairdresser, of course. You're, you're in a good position because it's a craze that's sweeping the football nation. A lot of top players around Europe are shaving their heads for want of anything better to do. Andy Martial, didn't you see the pictures today? That really no. suits him. He shaved his head. He looks a million dollars. Um, okay. Eden Hazard, not so much. I'm <laughs> no, I see. Okay. Not, it's not really worked for Eden Again, oh. um, and Herrera, I'm not sure it works great for him. Uh, but, oh, Anthony Martial, he's going to get modelling work out of this. He looks sensational. I just wonder at what point uh, in proceedings, because I've got very straight, sort of sticky-up hair. So if I was to let, say, my, my, my son or my missus loose on my barnet with the clippers, I'd look like, remember uh, the old Dick Emery uh, character? I've done it wrong again, Dad. The one who's just kind of straight, <laughs> sticky-up skinhead. That's what I'll end up with. So uh, great reference. After about, yeah, one for the teenagers. After, a, after about t- after about. About 12 weeks, I may have to go for it because it'd be down my back like a mane. Now, I was thinking of you, Paul, on Saturday night. I was watching a Spurs game. I can't remember what game it was. And, uh, you know, no, actually, it was the it was the 2-2. It was Chelsea Spurs, 2-2. Schindler yeah. got the, the winner, I think. Bjarni Goldbeck got the equaliser. Well, his finest moment in a Chelsea shirt. Yeah. Unstoppable 30-yard drive. You may remember. You would have been there. Oh, well, but yeah, Everson, yeah. Stefan Everson scored on the stretch, as you course, always used to say. He was on the stretch. He was outside of his left foot, stretched it home. A marvellous yeah. goal. Good old Stretch Everson. That was a Norwegian uh, doll you could buy. You could just pull his legs out. It was fantastic. Oh, he was always always getting a little injury in that way. I don't know why he was so injury prone. The Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast from TalkSport. John, um, when Steve Smith got his ban from Cricket Australia, um, they said he wouldn't be considered for a leadership role for two years. Well, that two years is up. uh, And the debate has started as whether he should captain Australia again. Some feel he should, others feel he shouldn't. I just wonder what you think, and um, would that be a bit tight on, on Tim Payne? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, the sort of the the, the, the two year, you know, two years since Cape Town and the sandpapers sort of scandal sort of stepped under the radar a little bit, didn't it, with everything else happening in the world? But uh, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, Steve Smith is now free to captain um, Australia. Uh, I'd be very surprised if it happens immediately. Tim Payne is recognised as doing a pretty good job, actually. He's uh, he's you know in most people's eyes, he's not, he's not a great. Uh, I have to say that not all the England players are great fans of. Of Tim Payne, and he thinks it's a slightly sort of a holier than thou attitude. But I think he's generally perceived that he's done a good job and sort of restored, you know, credibility, I suppose, and integrity to the Australian team after all those years that uh, came before Sandpaper Gate when they were pretty loose cannons on the field and some of their behaviour was, was was pretty unedifying, to be honest. But so, but I think Tim Payne will keep the job certainly for the time being. Uh, obviously, there's doubts about his. You know his performances on the field. He's a decent wicketkeeper, but uh, you know his 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 runs with the bat is not not prolific particularly. But uh, I'd be I'd be surprised if they made a change straight away. I think I'm sure Tim Payne will keep the job for the time being, and Steve Smith will be happy to score his runs and and stand at second step without the responsibility of being captain again. I don't know if you've seen the, any of the test Amazon Prime's uh, sort of very all-access, all-areas uh, thing on the Australians, John. Uh, but there's a bit of Tim Payne I wrote down because it sort of amused me. Uh, they were interviewing him and he said, uh, he was talking about his life in cricket and he went, my grandfather was a wicketkeeper, my dad's dad and his dad were all wicketkeepers. So I think that's where I get that from. You think, no, really, I thought you were going to be a basketball player. <laughs> well, I, I enjoyed the show. I mean, I, I've seen about eight hours. I've probably seen about six of the eight hours. I mean, um, Justin Langer is the sort of he's the star, really, isn't he? I mean, he, he you know, he's, um, he's a bit, a bit, a bit of a David, bit of David Brent about him, isn't there? I think sometimes, yeah. but to these these sort of quirky little things. I mean, I don't know if anyone listening has seen the bit where just as England are about to win the Test match in Headley, in fact, when uh, Nathan Lyon fluffs the chance to, to, to complete the run out he kicks over this rubbish bin in the in the dressing room sort of the the, the, the players viewing area and kicks it and then he suddenly realizes he's done something wrong and he, he, he very carefully refills it with, with water bottles and cups and so on and he's absolute sort of comedy gold if anyone you know sees that it's certainly worth trying to catch that if you possibly can but uh, yeah i mean tim payne uh, he i think he emerges pretty well from that um i mean he's he's got a few things to say from behind the stumps doesn't he? he you know in that series at home against india he was chatting away to to um virat kohli and that sort of stuff and uh yeah but uh, I, I mean it's uh, it's an amazing program or series in terms of the access they have into the dressing room i mean it's there's a certain pr ele- element to it but um you know, for example, when Joffre Archer hits uh, Steve Smith at Lords, I mean, the, the 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 concern and the alarm in the dressing room was absolutely palpable, wasn't it? Because obviously, you know, a couple of players admitted after after been being interviewed that uh, their minds went back to Phil Hughes. So, I think that's um, you know, uh, Joe Root actually admitted that he he'd resisted watching that uh, uh, documentary, but he's now he's now started watching it. So um, even he's um, sort of uh, got enough spare time to see how the Aussies are behind uh, closed doors of their dressing room. Now, finally, John, we've been running a feature in lockdown called uh, On This Day in Sporting History Yesterday. But I'm even going to take uh, liberties with that <laughs> format today because this is On This Day in Sporting History <clears throat> two days ago because it was the anniversary of the lowest innings total in test history. It happened in Ooh. 1955. Would you would you remember, gentlemen, when that was, John? First, do you, you, you recall well, yeah, that? That would be... 26, wasn't it, by New Zealand, wasn't it? It was. 26 runs. New wow. Zealand were all out for 26 <clears throat> runs in uh, Auckland. Um, I think Bert Sutcliffe got about 11, and the rest of them just got one. There was no extras. It's all off the really? bat. I, I remember in New Zealand a couple of years ago, in, 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 again in Auckland, actually, at Eden Park, in that pink ball match, England at one stage looks like they might go lower. Because I think there was something like England, I think, were... 21 for 9, I think, or 22 yeah. for 9. And then Craig Overton came and hit, hit, hit a few boundaries and they got up to 50-odd. But I'm pretty sure England were on course to go below the 26 all out. So that would have been a, a record they probably didn't want to have. Do you recall England's uh, worst? Uh, they had a, a pretty bad one uh, in the West Indies. You may even have been Oh, there. yeah. Oh, in Trinidad, yeah, I covered that. That was um, They were 42 for 9 overnight. I think it was 
so there were, I think there were 46 all out, wasn't it? 46, 46 yeah. all out. In fact, we're going to remind you, we're going to take you back there. We're going to play you a little bit now. So our old mate Alex Stewart's uh, wicket falling. Let's bring you a little bit of the commentary now. That's it. Wicket number five. Cody Ambrose strikes once more. The Queen's Park Oval is absolutely jumping. England are 26 for five. Well, what a performance by Kirtley Ambrose. I said all along he's a class act, a truly great bowler. The only great bowler on show. There's some good ones. 26 for five. That was incredible. And uh, I remember that, Paul, you'll remember this, that Kirtley Ambrose's mum, do you remember getting her on the show after he'd taken his 600th wicket and for some reason i don't know how we got hold of her but we're, we're sitting in the studios and the producer says uh, curtly ambrose's mum's on the line we went, okay fine. <laughs> that's right. so we congratulated her we, that's uh, i right. interviewed her once because, uh, her name is hilly hilly hmm. ambrose her name wasn't she lived in a little village called sweets in the middle of antigua and um the thing was that um whenever curtly her son took a wicket she'd go out into the street and ring the bell <laughs> And, uh, and to disturb all the neighbours, often with the time difference, it would be in the middle of the night. Uh, and I, I assumed that, that this bell was going to be some huge thing. But in fact, it was a little, it was, a, it was about three inches tall and it just made that, it hardly made any sound at all. But uh, she'd go out, I mean, she was four foot nine, I, I would say, and Kirtley was six foot eight. But uh, <laughs> uh, she was, she was a, a lovely, a lovely lady and we went to interview her. And that, that, was, uh, that sounds like the late, great Tony Cozy on commentary and with... Um, alongside somebody called Boycott, I suppose. And, uh, <laughs> that was amazing. I mean, that match, because the, the, the ball kept scuttling along the, along the deck. It was uh, and uh, Ambrose, you know, with the uneven bounce, was pretty much unplayable. But, uh, but yeah, that was, uh, that was an extraordinary test match. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from TalkSport. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from TalkSport. Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon, Andy. Yes, good afternoon, Paul. It was uh, another top day here in uh, Rio de Janeiro. We had a lovely time, didn't we? Great atmosphere uh, around Rio, of course, in the build-up to uh, the Brazil game yesterday. Everybody, the world and his wife, it's kind of, as as we were told yesterday by Alex Bellas, it's sort of like a public holiday. Everybody who is working just leaves work and goes to the game. Yes. Everybody was heading for the Copacabana Fan Fest, and now they've got everybody in. Well, everybody was heading for the Copacabana Fan Fest. They're also heading home, as Alex told us. People like to watch the game at home, a bit like Christmas Day, he said. Everybody knew that, except, of course, Eduardo, our fixer, because uh, we were... I thought it would be someone else's fault. It was his fault, let's be honest. And uh, (laughs) it was. We were in the van going to the Maracana to watch Spain train. The traffic was terrible. So I said, come on, Eduardo, it's got to be quicker on the subway. Let's go on the subway. So he didn't say to me, oh, it it might be a touch busy. So we go on the subway. It doesn't work for the metro (laughs) system. Everybody's heading back into the suburbs. And so every stop, it was pretty crowded when we got on, but every stop, more and more people 
people got on. And nobody got off. And no one got off. And it was just... And luckily, it's air-conditioned, but there must have been, like... I got, there was this little... I mean, I said, little fat fella. That's no other way to put it. He was yeah. a tiny little guy, wasn't he? What, me? No, not you. Yeah. Uh, a, a, a Brazilian guy right in front of me. Yeah. And he was being pushed into the bar and being pushed into me. I mean, yeah. I think we technically got engaged. <laughs> and I was wearing it. In the end, I was wearing him like a little front papoose that you carry babies. Yeah. It, was, it was very odd. Yeah. I, thought, I, felt, I didn't know whether at the end to sort of shake hands with him yeah. or share a cigarette. You know, we'd gone through a, a, a very special moment together, the two of us. We, uh, well, the thing was, as it was so crowded, I was in the middle of the carriage. I'm thinking, how on earth am I going to get off this train? Yeah. But fortunately for me, uh, the moose was with us. So yeah. uh, for fans of American football, you may remember this. I used him in the way that uh, Walter Payton, the great Walter Payton, would use the fridge. Yeah. I got him to block for me. <laughs> so he was like, I pushed him in front of me and I followed him through and somehow we just got off the train. Yeah. Well, I never thought I was going to get off. I thought I'd be like going home to well, somebody's look, suburb. The moose may be many things, but he is not uh, a citizen of the world. He is not a gentleman <laughs> no, he, traveller. No, he judges uh, every other place he goes by the standards uh, at home. And what happens on Brazil, you know, if you're on the uh, tube in London or metro around cities around uh, England, if the train is packed, packed, packed and you can't get off, people get off, they let you off, and then they get back on again. Not in Brazil. No. No one gets off because they fear they won't get back on again. So you have to fight through them. And it became sport. Everybody was like, cheering us on as we tried to run to the line. Uh, and, it was brilliant. And the, we- but in the end, the moose was starting to shout things like, in England, we let people off. You know, you're not in England now, Moose, so shut up. Yeah, I think. More, more of that later in the bar. Moose and I recorded a tiny little bit on the train just to give you a flavour of what it was like. I hope it does. Yeah. Well, I'm here with Andy, and we're on one of the trains going towards American R. Andy, this was your idea to get out of the taxi. At the moment, squashed in like a sandwich, a, a sardine. I mean, this yeah. is... It was a really terrible idea, Moose. I'm really... <laughs> do apologise. Why are you all on this train? Why are you all on this train? Holy damn. They're very noisy, aren't they? They're very excited. The one thing, though, Ian, about the train, it's beautifully air-conditioned, even though it's packed in like sardines. The reason is, everybody's on their way to get home for the Brazil games. It's a half-day in Rio. And that is that's the situation. I know you're not happy about it because you like to drive everywhere. Absolutely. I've got to say as well that the stunning thing is that every single station stop at, more people just pile on. No one actually seems to no ever get off the train. Got off the train. It's quite remarkable. <laughs> I, I must say this was a complete and utter error by myself. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, it would help though if the fixer had actually realised that it was, you know, this is what happens when Brazil play. By the way, we're in the middle of the carriage. Have you plotted your way off the train in two stops time. I haven't got a clue how we're going to make our way off. It does look very difficult. I'm hoping that, I'm hoping that Andy will block for me, American football style. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go deep. <laughs> actually, I know what we're going to do. We're going to do this, all right? Everybody, out the way, I'm getting off the train! Everybody get off the train. Yeah, it was uh, pretty mad. For the first time, I can't believe we've been here for about three or four days and not sampled the Caipirinha. Yeah. I think we were a bit beard out, weren't we? Let's yeah. be honest, a touch gassy. Yeah. And we thought, let's go, we'll have a little one to take us home. Yeah. Well, I thought that. I thought we were having basically a last drink. But um, Andy, for the first time, I've known Andy for a very long time now. For the first time ever, uh, Andy, smart, a man who, who likes a drink, let's yeah, be does, honest. Yeah. Uh, they, they came around, they said, uh, you know, uh, four more drinks. And me and Andy said, oh, no, we'll, we'll pop on some. And Andy's, Andy Jacobs is going, yeah, let's have one more. <laughs> for the first time ever, you asked for more alcohol. Which I knew, you, I've never known you do I before. knew it was a problem when I had said to you, I can't feel my face. Yeah, <laughs> you said you did ask me. Is, does that mean you've had too much to drink that you can't feel your yeah. face? And then, you could, uh, I could have had an acupuncture, I wouldn't even know. When we got back here last night, uh, I just uh, Andy went to his room, I went to mine, we're right next to each other, so I popped to the loo. When I came back, I was just going to say goodnight, by which stage, the lights were out and he hadn't so much gone to sleep as passed out on the bed. <laughs> it was a bit So like you've that. rallied quite well this morning. No, not too bad. Time for Big Brother, this is the point of the show, yeah. when Andy gives you a bit of an insight, what's been going on amongst the talk sport presenters and producers well, we're all living in a very odd atmosphere we don't normally yeah. live together, no, no. you find it hard to believe but we don't generally live together here we are, brought together in one place and so Andy, uh, take it away let's have the music it's day six and Moose's toenails need cutting 
but he's refusing to do it until he gets home as his wife normally cuts his own toenails. Yeah, that was the revelation on the way back from the American Eye yesterday that the moose doesn't cut his own toenails. Mrs. Abrams asked you, poor woman, you have our sympathy. They're going to be like talons. He's here for about another two and a bit weeks. He'll be able to claw his way up Corcovado. <laughs> Horrible. OK, day six. And Saggers has asked Denny to pop down to McDonald's, but he's angry because he can't decide whether he wants a Big Mac or fillet or fish. That's what happened. <laughs> well, what do I want, Denny? He yeah, shouted. Yeah. And he's saying, look... Do they do that fish thing? And apparently Denny sat back in the chair weirdly and said, I don't know, Saggers, make your mind up. <laughs> this is the man. He's going to be lucky to make a month. The long-suffering Denny Morris. Day six, and Seth Rogen has popped into the TalkSport Big Brother house to ask if Goffy can come dancing with him. <laughs> we never quite worked out, did we? We Why? can't get over that. In what context? If you missed yesterday's show, you won't realise that Darren Goff told us he'd gone off to the Budweiser Hotel uh, just along Copacabana mm. Beach here and uh, found himself dancing. With, with that the, bloke from Breaking Bad. With a bloke from Breaking... Not Breaking... Oh, no, uh, Super Bad. Yeah. So, Seth Rogen. In what context was he dancing with Seth? Did they clear the floor? Was it like Saturday Night Fever? Everybody formed a circle around Maybe, them. Maybe, or... Because they did blurred lines, did the old fishing rod thing to each other, luring them across the stage. So there we are. That was uh, day three from uh, from Rio, the moose being used as a battering ram. We've uh, alluded to it in the past, of course. But anyway, we'll, we'll kind of... We'll be back uh, We'll be back for a bit more uh, sometime tomorrow. Andy, do we have you as yourself, or do we have you in the Barry, Wright, uh, Barry White mode? Let's have a listen. I think I'm Barry Wright still. I yeah. don't know. Well, how do I sound to you? you? Oh, no, you're still sounding a bit deep. I'm sure the boffins are working on it. It's not too bad. Yes. You just sound a little... I think you're slightly a bit more falsetto than you were. But uh, yes, that would have been difficult. panic during that bit, but there you go. <laughs> okay. Well, look, we'll keep working at it. Uh, it is uh, Hawksby and Jacobs here on Talk Sport with you until uh, four o'clock. And uh, Andy, is there anything else you've noticed uh, for uh, us? I'll tell you what I did notice last night. I was watching, and I think this is the way we've got conditioned now. I was watching Antics Roadshow. Yeah. And uh, I found myself shouting social distancing at the people in the queue, yeah, you know, waiting yeah, to see the expert. Yeah. Honestly, I think next time they're going to have to hold it on Bodmin Moor. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to need a big area. You're right. It's, it is messing with your head. I was watching something the other day, and, I, and there was like people shaking hands and putting their arms around each other. I think, oh, that's a little bit irresponsible, even though it was a film from about 1955. <laughs> you can't judge everything on today's sensibilities, uh, I think. That would be very difficult, wouldn't it? So, uh, no, it's, it's yeah, true. I think it is quite common at the moment. You're not alone at feeling like that. It does. It does sort of honestly, some head. people, though, obviously just don't seem to realise the situation at the moment. This bloke decided to write this to the Daily Star this morning. He's saying, oh, I've been with you from the start. In other words, I'm a long-term reader. Yet six times in the last 21 days, the Daily Star hasn't turned up in shops. Utterly ridiculous, he's put. Well, it's not really utterly ridiculous, is it? This is like a war on, mate. Well, it's not really utterly ridiculous, is it? But yeah. I, I wouldn't have printed that one. But I wouldn't have printed a lot of these letters later. No, that's, that's, uh, that's very true. That's me. And The Guardian, they do love. They do love a, a middle... It's so middle class, The Guardian. They do... Really? To be this Breaking of, news oh, yeah, here on TalkSport. <laughs> it's incredible, though. Yeah. They said... Uh, this was in their food section on the weekend. If there was yeah. ever a need for simple food, the time is now. Yeah. Sprouting box. Sprouting broccoli is bang in season. So all over the shops and markets right now, you, not everybody's going to go and buy sprouting broccoli, are they? Anyway, it's, I think this was Thomasina Meyer. She said, here I cut the broccoli into ribbons so it folds and disappears into the piles of similarly shaped pasta. That and the insanely silky cheese sir. Sauce. You're insanely sick, silky cheese sauce. <laughs> yeah, 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 say, of yeah, course. No, it's not. And so, the man on Sunday. Yeah, go on. Yes, go on. What was you going to say? I'll, I'll do one more. The man on Sunday aren't helping with their sort of still harping back to Brexit. This is their headline about, about the fact that Boris has got uh, COVID-19. It said, uh, EU negotiator, uh, did Barnier infect Boris, you think, oh, for God, you must have met hundreds of people. It can't have been. I know it's convenient to say it might have been him, but I don't think it was. But yeah, there you go. If he did, it probably wasn't on purpose. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from Talk Sport. Hawksby and Jacobs uh, with you through until four o'clock. And a uh, very interesting piece by uh, Alan Nixon uh, in Yesterday's Sun. Talking about the big match revisited that a lot of people have been getting stuck into with the, the lack of live football. 
and uh, we'll be uh, I think we're going to be chatting with Motti about this uh, in a few moments time um, Andy the game I watched yesterday um, well, oh, yeah. one of the games because obviously you, the way it used to work was you would only get effectively three games one main game and a couple of uh, little ones. This was um, mm. Spurs-Liverpool, um, and wearing number mm. 11 for Tottenham, Alan Brazil, AB Brazil. Oh, really? Yeah, he was, he was pretty quick, Alan, wasn't he? he was surprisingly he, quick. His hold-up play was excellent in this game. That was, uh, he, he did some, and there was one little turn, touch and turn, I think, against Mark, maybe Mark Lawrenson. Just turned and got a shot in that uh, that Grobelar saved, but um, it was it was on the day when uh, Liverpool actually won the title. Tottenham won two nil uh, at White Hart Lane against Liverpool, and it was Dalglish, Russ. It was a great side. This was 1983, April 83. Uh, but Manchester United drew at Norwich, which meant that um, Liverpool had won uh, the title that day. And Keith Birkin, sure ever the gent, Spurs manager, took a bottle of champagne in to the Liverpool players to say well done but they were so fed up having lost the match that uh, they refused they thanked him but they wouldn't drink it uh, even though (laughs) they'd effectively (laughs) won the title but uh, no Alan Alan showed some lovely touches uh, that day we also saw the song that uh, when a player is injured of course we we, these days people sing let him die let him die don't they (laughs) but then then they just then they just sang get him off get him off that was the that was that particular tune in 1983 but yeah I'm sure a lot of people have been watching all those old games from the 70s and 80s and getting a bit Mm. misty eyed but Alan Nixon in the sun yesterday making the point that there was a lot in that era that we really really wouldn't want to go back to Uh, joining us now to reflect on that and more is uh, of course legendary commentator friend of the show regular here on Hawksby and Jacobs it is John Motson good afternoon Motty Hello, boys. How are you both? Still working? Yeah, we're still, we're still, we're still going. Still, we're still soldiering on, John, in the old well living done. room lockdown. Um, I wanted, yeah. There's one one thing that I I did notice. The most, the, the toughest thing to watch in this game from 1983, the end of April 1983, was to see the fans behind those huge fences at all the first division games to see people basically hanging on cages watching football matches and and in light of what was happening uh, five years six years later it was quite chilling really that that that, that was allowed uh, to happen yes yeah, so i think we've got to say that the 70s and 80s were both blighted by hooliganism and the uh, effects of it really i mean uh, we all remember the fences but with no great uh, Pride, of course, because they also caused um, a, a couple of tragedies, didn't they? Um, funnily enough, Paul, I, I'm glad you've started on that because uh, you mentioned the sun uh, yesterday. But today, there's a two-page spread on ground designs on clubs building um, improvements to their stadiums still now as though we're going into another generation of course after hillsborough lord justice taylor insisted on all-seater stadiums and we got the new look football grounds that um, made things so much better for supporters but reading this article today i was quite surprised about how many clubs are now going the extra mile if that's the right expression and and kind of not rebuilding exactly but adding to what they've already got and um, not just the uh, Everton's and Bramley Dock, obviously on the on the drawing board. Not just Chelsea, who unfortunately their uh, plans to redevelop the planning application ran out today, so that won't happen immediately. But you know, the the, the, sm- the clubs are like Fulham, Scunthorpe, Peterborough, Wimbledon, and of course Brentford, whose new stadium will be uh, there to to start next season. So. Um, if you're going to say to me what was the best part of the 70s and 80s, I think I'd probably say the improvement in facilities for spectators. Um, I mean, we can talk about the game separately, but I just thought it, it, football now, I mean, people don't take their seats till 10 to 3 or, no, no, the, no of course, the 10 to what time the kickoff is, but 10 minutes before the start, it's like going to the theatre. But, yeah. of course, in the 70s and 80s, they were... They were um, <clears throat> what shall I say, not terrorising every week, but they were um, having their sort of verbal uh, exchanges on the terraces almost from from an hour before the kickoff. Yeah. 
Now, Motti, I mean, I don't know if you're on royalties, but you should be because uh, basically every game I seem to watch, you're, you're commentating. But there was one on Saturday. It was and this was unusual, John. I think you'll remember this: that match of the day would occasionally cover a second division game, not just the sort of first division. And this was a second division game between Chelsea and Newcastle. You were commentating, yes. and at one point you, you're saying this is a fixture that uh, often produces goals. I remember coming to a game here with my dad, a six-five. So you. Were Refer to your old man there in, in, within the commentary. Well, indeed, he was. He took me to Chelsea for the first time in the fifties. But yeah, I remember the Newcastle game. Are you talking about the six-nil game? I'm talking about a second division game. Uh, I think Chelsea won about six-nil or something. It was six-nil. No, it was it was six-nil. Yeah. Jeff Hurst was Jeff Hurst was manager. Bobby Gould was the assistant, and um, I remember it very clearly uh, that that game. Uh, Andy and uh, yeah, I mean, I must just say to you, you made a point there, which a lot of people won't remember. But under the old rules, when Match of the Day was the only sort of full highlights program uh, on the television, although of course ITV were doing regional matches, the contract said that every season Match of the Day had to cover 14 games from the old second division and four games from the old third division. Wow! Wow! That's amazing. I mean, watching these old big matches, John, you'd get one, you'd get a half an hour maybe of one match and then you'd get highlights of a, of a couple of others. So there was limitations on what they could show. And Alan yes. Nixon making the point yesterday, the crowds uh, generally uh, were not great. He said there was a weekend in the 80s. Um, he said uh, City were the biggest draw one weekend with barely over 25,000. Third and fourth division sides would barely get 1,000 people. Everton had 14,500 at Goodison. Uh, they were on a good run at the time, the lowest gate for a top flight game on Merseyside. And as you said, because of maybe a, a bit of uh, financial austerity and the, the threat of hooliganism whenever you went to games and getting caught up in it, people were just not going to matches, were they? Well, that's right. I mean, in the late 80s, after Heysel and the Bradford fire, the crowds really dropped. People fell out of love with football. Um, and I remember going to West Ham uh, for, a, for a match against Leicester, and there were only 12,000 people there, and there were huge gaps at Upton Park. And the, the game really went through a trough, if I can be honest. Um, not, not so much the play on the pitch, of course, but, but, but the actual uh, mood in, in, in the country was, was, I can remember, it was almost anti-football. I mean, even the coverage uh, on the, in the papers was reduced. Uh, match of the day was off the air for about six months at one time, completely off. Um, and uh, it, it really took, I suppose you'd say, Italian 90, the start of the Premier League, the all-seater stadiums, all those things combined, of course, to make the 90s uh, probably a more memorable era and a better time to watch football than the 70s or 80s. Yeah. If you're just tuning into the match as a kind of casual punter, you forget um, just how g good it is to have names of players on the backs of shirts. And that's one of those things you notice if you don't know those teams. I watched another one, John, and it, it, it kind of took me into a different place. I'll explain what happened. It was August 1976, the big match, Malcolm McDonald's first game for Arsenal, Bristol City back in the first division, first time in 65 years. It was first game of the season. And Bristol City played brilliantly, as they often do. A team that comes up, goes to Highbury, really turns it on. They were the best team, Alan Ball said afterwards. They completely deserved to win. They won 1 0. And uh, the guy who was the kind of thorn in their side for the whole match was a young player. He was 23, Bristolian, called Paul Cheesley. And he finally scored the goal. Balls played in. He beats David O'Leary, gets in front of him, big powerful header. He'd nearly scored twice. I think he'd hit the post and hit the bar already. I thought, what? what? I didn't, I'd not heard the name. So I went and checked him out. And talk about the precarious nature, nature of professional football. Three days after that game, having scored his first first division goal against Arsenal and all the glory of that, he went to Stoke, went up for a ball with Peter Shilton, landed awkwardly, did his knee in and never played football again. 23 wow. years old. And you think, I was actually quite moved when I, I read it. I thought, well, just watch this, watch this guy. And he was interviewed afterwards by Brian Moore talking about the buzz of scoring the goal and his future as a young player. And it just proves it, doesn't it? You know, all footballers, all sports people are, are one race, uh, you know, one game away from never playing again. 
Absolutely. Of course, uh, we don't know, but the medical treatment around now might, might have saved his career because yeah. uh, in those days yes. we didn't have the sophisticated um, physiotherapy and all the, all the advances in medicine that, that we've got now. And of course, the, um, you know, it's more scientific now, isn't it, really? But no, that was, I remember Bristol City coming up. Uh, Alan Dix was the manager. Mm. And um, they, they didn't stay up very long, actually, Paul. They, they no. went into a bit of a decline after that. As uh, Jonathan Pierce will be the first to tell you, he's, he's <laughs> their biggest fan, I think. Yes, it, it was strange. But how often do we see that? It doesn't matter about what era. The, the team that comes up, um, they're at it from day one. They're playing like every game's a cup final at the start of the first season. And Arsenal just couldn't get going. They couldn't match that intensity. And, uh, you know, I think Alan Ball said as much after. I'm talking about it like it happened yesterday. But it's, yeah, it's, it's true, oh, isn't yes. it? The pattern, the pattern repeats itself. The sides that You don't want to be playing the teams that come up at the start of the season, no. do you? In, f- in fact, uh, Andy, you'll remember this. Carlisle United got into the old first division in the 70s and actually led the table after three games. Yes, yeah, so sort of a dim and distant memory. <laughs> John, you're asking a lot. I can't remember what happened last week. But uh, <laughs> what was I going to say? There was um, one game I watched, which was in- incredible. It was Palace against Chelsea, 1971. 42,000 yeah. at Sellers on a frozen pitch that they would never have played. Now, the players had to wear trainers. They couldn't even wear boots. That's how. So it was like playing on an ice rink, but they played. Peter Osgood still looked good. And uh, it, 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 it is interesting. But I found myself, uh, there was a foul on uh, Peter Benetti for, uh, I think, Palace's equaliser. And I found myself getting quite annoyed about it. <laughs> well, a bit, bit late to change it now, even, even if they did have VAR then, uh, Andy. But uh, I, I know what you mean. Things stand out when you see these old games, don't they? Peter Bonetti, by the way, um, I know he got a little bit of uh, stick for one of his England performances, but he was a brilliant goalkeeper for Chelsea. They, he was nicknamed the Cat, wasn't he? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. He was. And, yeah. But that day, I mean, he didn't even wear... John Jackson, who was also a terrific keeper, made oh, some great brilliant. saves. Yeah. He... He was wearing tracksuit trousers, but Peter, was he had no gloves on, he just had shorts on. The interesting thing about John Jackson was that apparently Alf Ramsey was there. Whenever Alf turned up at the game, John Jackson had a nightmare. But actually, in this game, he played pretty well. Well, I'm just thinking, of course, uh, match of the day, or in the match of the day slot, I should say, um, Lineker and Shearer and Wright were doing uh, the, the best 10 centre-forwards or the best 10 goal scorers, I should say, on Saturday night. And they're going to do the best 10 goalkeepers this coming Saturday. The Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast from TalkSport. Steve Bruce, back in uh, the late uh, 90s, wrote uh, three murder mystery books, Striker, Defender, and um, sweeper. We got our hands on striker, and uh, Ian Danter, uh, in the style of Steve, brilliantly uh, has been bringing us bringing the book to life. Uh, Lettersford Town manager Steve Barnes uh, is the star of the book. He's looking to lead his team into the Premier League, but uh, he's been wrapped up in a murder of one of his star players. Let's recap where we are so far. Bright red blood on the knife blade, the knife in my hand. Duffy's dead body stretched out on the locker room floor. That's when Carberry opens the door. Eddie Carberry was enjoying this. This was his big chance. Me inside on a charge of murder. Carberry is caretaker manager, a run of good results and he gets my job. What I never guessed was that one day I'd make the top grade. When I was headhunted by Leddersford and the owner of the club was a millionaire, there was a promise of money for players. I'd jumped at the opportunity. I went for Pat Duffy right away. So there we are. We continue the story then. We've been finding out a bit more about Steve's exalted career as a footballer and how he's uh, made the grade. So let's uh, let's pick it up and take you back into the world of Leddersford Town FC. If I were selecting the team, Sir Lawrence continued in his quiet, carefully modulated English, I think I'd be giving him the chance to prove himself at least for half a match. I heard his words and got his message. In his own subtle way, the chairman was telling me about team selection. Well, I listened to advice. Only a fool ignores good advice. I listened to those who were at Leddersford before me and know the squad better than I do. People like Eddie Carberry. And I talked to the team skipper, Martin Thornton, who's as dependable in defence as the Rock of Gibraltar. I even listened to Sir Lawrence Brook. After all, 
He's an astute guy, university educated, respected in the business world. He knows about economics, finance, government policies, but, you know, he doesn't understand soccer in the way players and managers understand the game. So, while I'm prepared to listen to advice from all quarters, I still think the best advice comes from hardened professionals. And even when I've heard the advice, I'm the one to make the final decisions. In that respect, it is lonely being a manager. I bought Pat Duffy for a song. He had an agent, his uncle, and he could see that Duffy was a serious prospect, but young Duffy didn't have the track record for the agent to hold out for a very large sum. I couldn't lose. I bought the lad for a song. He would help us in various ways in our push for promotion. I was realistic. It would take at least a couple of years. Success is rarely purchased overnight. And if we didn't make it into the top flight after a couple of seasons, I could always sell the young player for a big profit. That should please Sir Lawrence Brooke and the accountants. Soccer has always been a business, of course, but now it's very big business and owners, accountants and shareholders like to see healthy profits. In fact, they insist on profits and if these are not forthcoming, someone bites the dust. That someone is usually the manager. Think of the players you know who never made it in management. The list is longer than your arm. The weekend had been quiet. We didn't have a game on the Saturday. It was a Friday evening fixture at home and we won. It had been a scrappy game and a single goal decided it. What worried me was the fact that our regular striker, Jimmy Lawson, had missed three sitters and a penalty kick. In the short time I'd been with the club, he proved that he wasn't in the top class. I needed to look for a better striker. On his day, Jimmy Lawson was good enough for a team in the lower divisions, but he was unreliable in terms of his form. I know full well that a forward can't convert every chance, but that isn't the nature of the game or even of life itself, but consistency is a quality that a good player needs, and Lawson lacked it. I was quickly to learn the reason why. So there we are. Yes, a lot of parallels with life there. Jimmy Lawson, who couldn't buy a goal, same initials as Joel Linton. <laughs> That's true. That's true. And uh, I reckon Sir Lawrence Brook was definitely a better owner than Mike Ashley. <laughs> and in what sense is the Rock of Gibraltar dependable? It's a Rock of Gibraltar. I didn't quite get that. He said, he's dependable as the Rock of Gibraltar. I think, well, why is the Rock of Gibraltar particularly more dependable than anywhere else? But there we go. Well, there's a pretty uh, good but, chance that when you wake up every morning, it's still going to be there if you live in Gibraltar. It's not, it wouldn't have moved, <laughs> would it, to Port of Anus? I mean, it's dependable on the fact that it's not going anywhere, barring a major earthquake, God forbid, in the Gibraltar area. I love the fact that Steve wrote this when he was a player, and he talks about the... He's obviously he was destined mm. for management. He clearly felt he wanted to be a manager. So anyway, that's, uh, that is uh, Steve Bruce kind of reading his own murder mystery. He really did write this. You may think we're making this up, yeah. but honestly, no, no, we didn't. Steve wrote, uh, wrote these books, and Ian Danter is bringing them to life as Steve. Now, talking to Dance, he's, he's been very good to us over the last week, uh, doing this and we do appreciate it uh, and we mentioned last week he's done his balmy old podcast some of the best bits of the old podcast he did uh, with a balmy brummies uh, back in, up in radio up in Birmingham uh, a while back and he's brought some of the best sketches and material uh, together and uh, issue episode two should I say is out uh, today if you would like to go and find it audio boom and apple spotify deezer etc etc all the places you get your podcasts um, and we thought we'd play you a bit because it involves um, Tom Ross who you hear every Saturday on TalkSport reporting with Adrian on Match Day Live and uh, he is kind of um, uh, Tom looked after uh, Dance was the man that discovered him he says uh, as a young boy and uh, Dance pays tribute to him here with a little feature of uh, Tom going about the mundane but always being a football commentator Tom Ross at the doctor's office Hi, I'm Tom Ross and uh, I'm here live and exclusive for my doctor's surgery because it's the morning after the playoff final and my voice is minging, let me tell you. And uh, just looking there, it's going to be a long wait here. Uh, you know what it's like at the doctors? I've only just arrived and uh, I probably won't get seen for about half an hour or so. Tom Ross to Dr Irving's room, please. Yeah! 
Straight into steam. Last time it was a heartbreaking two-hour wait, but there's no wait this time. Fantastic! Ah, morning, Mr. Ross. Thought it was you. I could hear from outside. Throat problems again, is it? <laughs> it's an uncanny Tom when a goal goes in. That's sensational. So episode two of Dance Barmy Old Podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts now. And dance back tomorrow with a bit more Steve Bruce. Andy, do you have anything for us briefly? Yeah, so congratulations to Ronan Keating and his wife Storm. Yeah. And uh, they've had a child, which is wonderful news. But they've done that showbiz thing. They've called a Coco Knox. Why don't you just call her Coco Krispies and get it over with? <laughs> Yeah, so these names, you give these children these names, they've got to live with these names for the rest of their lives. Yeah. What do you call a child Coco Knox? Well, there I, you go, I, I suppose it's... We'll have to take that with uh, Ronan. I can't help you there, Andy, I'm afraid. It's, uh, it's and like, talking uh, about now, I've got a bit of an odd, uh, I, I, they need a bit of time to get rid of this, but I've got a bit of a short uh, T20 one-name birthday spread for you. If you okay, we may, like well, we may have to come a... back to that a little bit later on. Okay. Uh, we'll give them okay. a, yeah, I think we'll give them a bit of, bit of a heads up. Well, I can save it till tomorrow, it's fine. Okay, well, like, that's fine. That's, I'm, I'm, yes, okay. Well, we'll we'll see if that's the case. Um, and then, yes, Andrew. Do you want some more? Go on, a quick one. Yeah. And then, okay, on the weekend, uh, we were watching Friday Night Dinner, which is a fun show with Tom Rosenthal, who I'm yeah. massive fan on. But my wife, when she watches this show, she's it's about a Jewish family. And so she basically it sort of logs how Jewish the whole thing is. And she got very, very <laughs> cross when basically they had they showed the ceremonial Sabbath bread that, oh, yes. that you break. And it was already sliced. She was very, very unhappy about this. She said it would never be sliced beforehand. She was really? right. And, of course, they had no candles on the on the table whatsoever. That would never happen either. So wow. very, very unhappy about that. Yeah. So, uh, wow. Well, so fantastic. <laughs> I mean, it is a comedy show. She's got to cut them some slack, really. <laughs> yeah, but, I, but I suppose, you know, authenticity yeah, well, and all that. That's true. Well, you'd insist on it. I know you would. Yeah, indeed. I'm a stickler for that kind of thing. Anyway. And I was watching the – oh, go on. No, go on. Go on then. Carry on. I was watching final one. I was watching the test, and uh, and this is the thing that Michael Carrick did when I met him. But Justin Langer says his own name when he meets people. So he, he, and he kept doing. It. He met about five people in a row, and he just kept going, Justin, uh, how are you? Nice to see you. Justin, how are you? Nice to see you. Justin, yeah, we know it's Justin. We know you anyway. You're quite famous. You don't need to tell us who you are. Justin, how are you? You're all right. I've always maintained that is the right thing to do. You don't have the arrogance of a famous person that you think, well, you know who I am, so I don't have to introduce myself. That's. I think it's a perfectly polite... You're going to a press conference with Justin Langer. Who else do you think is going to be there? It's the pastry. The Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast from TalkSport. Hawksby and Jacobs uh, here on Talk Sport. When you're not wallowing in nostalgia sports-wise uh, with all the old football and old boxing and cricket and more, there's normal telly. Straightforward oh, yes. entertainment still to be watched and uh, we'll keep you in touch with that. Marking your card with the star's very own Mike Ward, who joins us again. Hi, Mike. To be perfectly honest, normal telly for me is actually just watching. Non- this is this is just a day job. Normal telly. For- <laughs> as, soon as, I, as soon as I sort of switch off, it's just normally in a tradition, you know, just gawping at a screen with people playing football on it. Yes, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I wanted to talk to you about something that uh, I've not watched yet. I don't know if you have. You haven't mentioned it. Don't think Andy has. Uh, my, so this is promising then. <laughs> like, yeah, but my, well, yeah. I think we should be watching okay. it because everybody's okay. talking about it. Yeah. Are you aware of the the phenomenon that is Tiger King on no. Netflix? No. Do you know what? Somebody rang me up about twenty minutes ago. And said, "Can you come on and talk about so and so?" And I think, uh, do you know what? Uh, no. I, well, I, I am. I am. But I'm, I'm, it's one of those things we think. Right. Okay. Well, I, I won't do that one this week. And all of a sudden, obviously, obviously, I'm completely out of touch. So talk me through it. Well, I've not. Again, I've, my say my youngest son has been watching. It's got, got a fairly grotesque cast, but it's uh, it, apparently it's engrossing and it's 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 kind of water cooler TV on a days you can stand around and talk about telly by a water cooler. Okay. You know, you've, got be eight, you've got to be eight foot from the water cooler. Yeah, moment, absolutely. Course. Yeah. But um, everybody's everybody's uh, um, sort of social media is a buzz talking about this show, so I feel like I should. 
I should hop in. It, so, it sounds appalling, but, um, oh, you know. What's uh, the, what's I, the, so far, you're just describing Hollyoaks. So, well, I mean, <laughs> if you could just... <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. It's a documentary series okay. um, uh, about oh, the, the exotic uh, animal uh, market. Um, oh, so God. A, a, a cast oh, of fairly repre- reprehensible characters, but compelling, apparently. I think I'm, and yeah. very watchable. Yeah. Is it? Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, well, no, 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 I don't think it'll be for me. But I guess I feel now. Now I feel real pressure. I now yeah. feel pressure to have a good opinion on this at some point. Oh, Maybe I should watch one tonight and report back tomorrow. I should yeah, watch. Epi- I'll watch yeah. episode you one, Mike. You, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go in. I'll take. I'll take one for the team. But everybody says it's. Uh, it's yeah. All it's, right. Fa- it's, it's Bear in mind, good. I'm sco- take into account the fact that I'm quite squeamish and I don't like things with animals being hurt in them. No, no. Well, I'm nor do I. But, no, no. no um, I, I, I just hope that isn't the case. Hope that no. isn't the case. But, okay. We'll give it a crack. So, um, what you are we watch like it look- so we don't have to. Yes, yeah, that's exactly. it. I'll do that. Well, what do we like to look off today, Mike? Well, I can say we like the look off. I, mean, I think it's more of a talking point than liking the look off. And I haven't been able to get any hold, hold of any previews of this. So it's the thing called the Real Michael Jackson. It's ninety mm. minutes tonight on BBC Two, and it's Jacques Peretti, the investigative reporter, who's trying to sort of find, you know, a, a slightly different angle on the whole Michael Jackson story in terms of figuring out how he became the person he became and whether there were sort of um you know hints and clues much much earlier on in his life you know we know he had a pretty hideous childhood in terms of how he was raised by his father and the pressure put on him but you know i, I think that as far as i can gather as i say because I, i've tried several times to get hold of the copies i have to say when people say you can't get hold of a copy of it i think Oh, that's 90 minutes. I don't have to sit in front of something, then that's good. So, <laughs> you know, it's on, on the plus side. I feel like it's sort of like I've got an excuse for not doing my homework. You know, that's like, well, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. I couldn't do I couldn't do my homework. We had a power cut, sir. Okay, so that's all right. Um, but yes, um, that's basically what it is. So uh, it, it will be a talking point, I'm sure, because obviously the, 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 he's looking for a slightly new angle on the whole story. It's BBC Two, and you say it's ninety minutes, so it doesn't sound like a kind of um, cut and paste job. You know, no, sometimes no, think... you do see these kind of you mean the Channel Five special, superficial <laughs> cut and paste. Same four bits of footage, same three talking heads, um... yeah, which isn't never me anymore. Never yeah. me anymore. Talking. I don't know what I've done to them. The, the phone stopped ringing. <laughs> but this is this is obviously BBC Two, and they've, they've probably thrown some money at it. So... Yeah, that would be it then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm very, I, uh, excited, I, I'm very excited tonight, Andy, about the final of Only Connect. This is uh, this is the the big final for me this evening. In the absence of oh. live sport, this, the TV show uh, yes. really guaranteed to make you feel incredibly thick and inferior. <laughs> That's what it says on the box, doesn't it? When yeah. you buy the DVD. Yeah. <laughs> Do you? Uh, I mean, how successful are you on an average show? How many? You know, it's a bit like people measure how many university challenge questions they get right straight afterwards. Well, I answered a question right once on Only Connect quite recently, actually, and, okay. and, and my old bottom lip was quivering. They didn't get it right, and I did. I was nearly in tears. I mean, oh. that's how. Re- that's you, when, it's when the maths ones comes Do you? Punch the air when you do that, or any. Well, any sort of... it's only ever happened once. I've punched the air singular once. Uh, oh, when okay. I go. But it's, I just find it. I just I think, how do you work that out? I watch yeah. in awe of these people. I just their thought process and the way their minds work is just. Staggering. I suppose... I mean, she, Victoria Coronich was very entertaining. It's, yeah, she's uh, good. It's 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 uh, it's very well done. So I've seen it through. So I'm I'm there for the final tonight. I sort of think it's between you know if you can do cryptic crosswords or you just do the coffee time quickie sort of thing. Yeah. It's it's a bit like that. If your if your mind mm-hmm. clicks into that um, you know that mindset, then probably yeah. after a while it becomes second second nature. That's my. I theory. was at two. I was at two ends of the comedy spectrum on uh, Saturday night. I watched and enjoyed both of them. I watched The Trip with uh, Steve Coogan and Rob Bryden uh, doing a very funny Demis Roussos off, uh, which I thought was brilliant. And then then I watched, I caught a bit of All Round to Mrs. Browns. And I am, you know, I like Brendan O'Carroll. We've interviewed him a couple of times. A really good bloke. But I think he gets a lot of stick. I mean, the the show was very entertaining. A lot of warmth to the character and everything. It is amazing how some people are so snobby about it this program it is one of the it, yeah it is the probably the ultimate opinion divider in sort of modern tv comedy isn't it that show if you you know p- people do literally love it or hate it and i think it's I, I i agree it is warm and you can sort of see if you if you stick with it even if you don't like it if you stick with it i think and if even if you're never going to laugh at it you should admire and respect the the craft behind it and the skill and and a real Hmm, comedy touch there that actually even if it doesn't tap into your own sort of you know comic tastes it's it's not 
it's not anything like as you know as as basic and as as you know as bad as people say it's got a real as you say that warmth and that engagement with the audience and you you sense everybody's having a really good time there's a lot of programs you watch where everybody's having a good time and you sort of feel as if you're you know left out of it you feel like you're an outsider looking in whereas mm. in that one i sense that an awful lot of people can feel engaged with it so at some level that's quite an art it's quite a skill for a comedian mm. to be able to do that now a lot of people love master chef and um it, it's knockout week apparently oh, mike yes knockout week i mean mm -hmm. they knock them out every week to be perfectly honest but they knock out more people than you it's knocking out more people <laughs> than expression. usual yes absolutely i was just carrying on hoping you'd notice that um yeah so 16 contestants we start off with eight tonight um and then three go and then eight on wednesday another three go and then that leaves um some some and then some more go uh, so yeah next week it's semi-final so basically they're falling like nine pins that's, yeah. that's the gist of it all and i love the fact that one of the things i noticed they get sent off to a restaurant i, I mean i I'm, I'm, I'm not good on London. Should I have heard of Raphael Kogali? Do you, do you, do I know, no, should no. I know who that is? Uh, Harry tried to sign him, I think, when he was at Portsmouth. <laughs> <laughs> what I find amazing is that whenever <clears throat> Greg and John announce the contestants, oh, we've got a guest in the studio, you know, a guest, guest judge or, you know, a, a guest critic or you're going to the restaurant. They always look amazed as if all their Christmases go, as, as if they've always heard of these people. <laughs> and, you know, we watch one heck of a lot of food shows in our house because it's sort of, you know, it's, it's compulsory once my wife's in the room. But, but it's, I've never heard of half these people and yet they're always wowed and, and overawed by the experience but uh, how good on them yeah it, it's lovely anyway that's where they're going they go to the Daterra restaurant of uh, chef Raphael Kogali tonight um, and there you go Andy you've not heard of him either if you've not heard of him we no. have got problems no I've not heard of him I'm afraid Never I'm sorry him. Raphael Michael. if you're listening he's feeling 10 feet tall at the <laughs> moment isn't he oh <laughs> sorry Raph <laughs> he'll be on the show I, I quite like um Fred's serious program when they go and eat in a restaurant, but they usually go very, very high end. But uh, oh, that is that the one where they're going all over? Which which one is that? The one where they go all over the world? And he has a different guest, celebrity chef person yeah. with him. Um, Fred goes on holiday and has a nice meal. Yes, that's right. I, 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 they all sort of blur into one. Yes, that was on a, on a while ago, wasn't it? He seems like a nice yeah. chap. That's how they would have pitched oh, yeah. it. I'm sure Fred goes on holiday and has a nice meal. <laughs> pretty much what it here. is. It is pretty much what it is. Um, it is. Our old mate Alex Horn has been doing uh, has. Taskmaster online during lockdown for people yeah. setting mm. tasks. We're trying to catch up with him at the moment, actually. But in the meantime, they're going back to the very beginning. Is that yes. right? Yeah. I mean, it's. I mean, you can always find old episodes. Of I just noticed this in the schedules. Taskmaster, the very, very first episode. Now, it's only five years ago, less than five years ago. But we're yeah. already, we've already had, I think, nine series now, which is extraordinary. And it's just such a massive hit and again it's none of those shows that right now is exactly what you want to watch mm. because uh, you know for those who haven't seen it is basically each series has the same five uh, comedians competing throughout the series uh, so it's not like a sort of panel game where it's a different bunch every week and you get to the end of the show and thank you good night it's like it develops into a story of competitiveness of, of, as each episode passes as they're they're set these ridiculous um, tasks including yeah. in this very first episode including the one where they have to paint who can paint the best picture of a horse while riding a horse which um, is, is, uh, is yeah. a particularly good one. And obviously this is now, uh, Taskmaster has, has parted company with Dave, which is where it's uh, shown, 6 o'clock tonight, that's one, by the way, um, and uh, will be on Channel 4, as Ooh. and when. Uh, Ooh, transfer. Later, later, yeah, yeah, that's it. It's, uh, that's, that's the end of their association with Dave. Channel 4 picked it up. I think they've, they've already signed them up for at least three more series, but um, that wasn't due to get underway till later in the year anyway. Ooh. Uh, the Sun had a roundup finally of um, of great sporting movies today, and I'd, I'd seen all of them bar one, and so it's a gap in my education. So Mike, as a man who watches a lot of telly, um, I've I've never seen uh, uh, Ball Durham, the film with Kevin Costner and uh, Tim Robbins, the uh, baseball movie. Have I've you ever, that. Andy? Have you seen it? Yeah, good. I Worth have seen it? it. Yeah, very good. Yeah, very yeah. good. There was there were a whole. F slew of baseball movies all around the similar time wasn't yeah it? the field so of dreams that was and one stuff of the, so yeah, I, i'm gonna i'm gonna track it down somewhere on a on a, one of the streaming services I, 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 I once i'd watched fever pitch uh nothing really topped that and i'm sure that you're i'm sure paul you're a big fan of that yourself <laughs> oh yeah i do love an arsenal related Actually, i did like i like the book and i like the film no, it's, it's a bit it trans it transcends your, your club lord it is a book like that it does of course that, it does, it does yeah. absolutely yeah 
All right, Mike. I've got well, a look, bit of Brighton news. Well, hang on. Oh, sorry, Brighton, Brighton news, Andy. Gone. Brighton, Brighton news. news. It's, yeah, it's one of these stories that I think it might have even been in your paper, actually. Yeah. Uh, it, it was something about, like, it just said, Graham Potter has been using a trampoline. <laughs> Great story. <laughs> what yeah, for? Here it is. Graham Potter, manager of Brighton and Hove Album, says he loves bouncing on the kids' trampoline after the torture of childcare. So there you go. Oh, I've play. got some bright news as well. I walked past Glenn Murray in the park. Uh, social distancing, I hasten to add, uh, yesterday. So he's he's obviously uh, fit and well. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from TalkSport. There we are. That was this afternoon's show. We'll do it all again tomorrow from one in our lockdown living rooms. We hope you're keeping safe and well and following the guidelines. Look after yourselves. And we will catch up with you tomorrow with possibly a Paul Cheesley update. We may be doing that. Refo- so don't touch that dial, eh? Um, all those years <laughs> on. Uh, yeah. Anyway, we'll do that uh, all being well tomorrow from one. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. Hear the guys every weekday between 1 and 4 p.m. on TalkSport. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.